Hello, I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Buddhist Culture, a podcast. I'm so excited to have an expert on today. Jason Grenchy is a professional food photographer, and I love the conversation we have about food. He's a Canadian-Italian who transitioned from fashion photography to food photography. And art started directing art when he noticed the more he was in the kitchen cooking and playing with food, seeing the way food reacted to different cooking techniques, the better his photography became. We chat about the intricacies and the value of learning a little bit of a local language of places you were visiting. We talk about pizza. Mmm, pizza. Neapolitan or Roman style, which do you prefer? We debate milk and bolognese. The traditional way is with milk, Jason tells me, by the way. I must give it another go. Stay tuned for my results. And mostly we chat about our shared love of Italian food, especially while in Italy. Jason is extremely knowledgeable and his food photos will have you swooning. Buon appetito! Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being with me today, Jason. Uh, Well, thank you for having me. I'm actually quite excited to uh, see how I can contribute to the conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, just your food photos alone just blow me away every time I see them. They're so gorgeous. Thank you. Um, Yeah, food photography is, um, well, photography in general is my actual trade. And uh, I originally went into photography thinking it was going to be a fashion photographer. Mm -hmm. And then I completely realized that while I loved the energy, uh, the energy of the set and the people, there was still something I wasn't quite connecting with. And uh, that just sort of, I mean, my goodness, it feels so long ago. I don't remember how I originally essentially got into it, but that was kind of the gateway into exploring food. Uh, It hadn't been a very popular subject even uh, 15, 20 years ago. It was a thing, but it wasn't super popular. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it just kind of spring formed from there and, uh, you know, done a cookbook, uh, done uh, lots of little jobs, basically. But uh, cooking has pretty much been a part of my life in general. As I, I, I grew up, uh, I'm a Canadian-Italian, so um, food is a thing in my home. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just made me, you know, I wasn't shy to it. And I had been exposed to it. And as the photography started to move forward in the direction of food, I started to take the cooking and the styling for my own photos into my own hands. I love that. Well, in fashion and food, I mean, fashion, you have so many beautiful different textures and colors and layers. And, you know, when you think about food, it's the same. Absolutely. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that, you know, in reflection, that's one of the major reasons why I was attracted to food because I actually saw it like fashion Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, And for the exact points that you just brought up, there are tons of beautiful colors and textures. And if I think about the beginning days of when I began the whole food photography, the funny thing is, is while I kind of, you know, I had a sense about these colors and these textures and stuff, it was just so hard learning how to make this a thing that could really pop and speak in a photo, which is exactly why the craft is what it is. We learn the craft for what it's supposed to be. And that's how we develop our skill. Mm -hmm. And the more I learned about food photography, the more I started feeling, uh, sorry, not the more I learned about actually cooking and being in the kitchen started to inform more of how the photography was being built. Because what I realized was, well, it's hard for me to craft a a food photo if I really don't quite understand how food behaves. Hmm, That's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the subject is so vast, but I, and I won't get like super, super deep into it. But for example, if I don't know how a roast chicken behaves once it's 
you know, roasted, what happens to the skin? What happens to the actual meat? What happens when you add certain spices that add color? What do these things look like? And what is that texture like? Mm-hmm. And what's the story that I'm looking at? And then from there, it's how did that get built into a photograph if we're going to construct the photograph, um, construct the photograph ground up? And so that just led me to want to be in the kitchen more, not just so the photography itself would be awesome, but of course that would be the benefit, but it's because I just enjoyed learning about it. And once I started to understand also how colors and arrangements work, my plating got better. And while that service, you know, how I ate and how I served guests in my home, they're like, wow, it looks like your photography. I'm like, that's pretty much what it is. I would do this for my photo. Yeah. Um, It just started to inform the photography. So um, it, you know, there are lots of wonderful stylists out there who really comprehend food very well. And I can tell just by how they, they style their photographs. It's not just photography. This is people who understand color, textures, balance, everything design related. So um, that's kind of the story there. That's amazing. I love that. I was recently looking through an old um, an old recipe book and the photos are not laughable, <laughs> but it's so true that, you know, in the last, definitely in the last 10 years, the food photography has been so elevated and it really is a work of art now. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny you, you express that because there's, there's people who they're always of, specific camps, right? They have specific interests, um, whether it's food photography or a different subject, it should be a certain way, it should look a certain way, it should have a certain feel. I think in the commercial world, it's very prevalent to walk into a type of food photography today mm-hmm. that has a very, yeah, like elevated artistic feel to it with its colors, its depth, the way you're styling a napkin. Um, the, the accoutrements that go around the photo. So if we're trying to tell a story about fall, we've got leaves hanging around, we've got pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And these kinds of things artistically add to the story. And I think that's all valuable. And I, I, I think it has its place. And there's other elements to it too. Like for me, for example, I gravitate a little bit more into a textural uh, story, textural atmospheric story. What's, you know, like for lack of a better example, it's not really a completely stylized sandwich. There's a bite and some crumbs lying around. Like what's the mm-hmm. story? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And there's artistic qualities in that as well. Understanding how to zoom the lens in both uh, philosophically <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and technically, how do you zoom the lens in to get to receive and understand different parts of this story and how it makes you feel. Um, and how it connects you to environments. And that can be conveyed as simplistically or as uh, intricately artistically as you want. Mm-hmm. I think uh, food photography nowadays, you know, if I'm maybe a little bit bold, mm-hmm. uh, gets a little convoluted with uh, artistic things that sometimes people really can't connect with. Mm-hmm. They don't connect with the elements around them. They don't, uh, they don't really see themselves eating the food because they don't see themselves in the story. Yeah, totally. And, and, yeah. And so food photography, you know, becomes a very important part of how we situate ourselves in our lives. But a lot of people don't really know it. I've had time to think about it because it's a profession, but hmm. um, it's not just making you want to eat. It's about seeing yourself in the culture, in the life and in the atmosphere. Totally. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. Well, I want to dive into knowing more about you. Okay. So what is your first memory of food? Ooh, first memory. 
Um, I'm assuming you're, it can be any kind of memory. Um, yeah. Like, you know, being a kid, you know, what was your favorite dish or, you know, the holidays coming near and maybe I'm assuming your parents were cooks. Yeah. Well, my, my, my parents are both cooks. It's funny. My, my mom, they're both excellent cooks. They both have literacy in the kitchen and my mom, but my mom has, I mean, I'm speaking more about back in the day, more so than now, but uh, more than now, but she had a handful of recipes that she gravitated towards and she just did those well. And she didn't really expand on her creativity. Um, I always enjoyed the way my mother cooked because she, she, she her, part of her repertoire were the things that I absolutely loved and adored. I'm a meat and potatoes guy. Always have been, always will be. Mm-hmm. So my first technical food memory, something I remember about being a kid was always, always, always desiring chicken and potatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, the more it's funny because even, even, I mean, as an Italian, everyone thinks, you know, we're, we've got pasta in our blood and in our veins. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that might be true in a lot of cases. For me, um, I enjoy a good bowl of pasta. It's not what I gravitate towards every single day. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, if I think back, I just would re- remember how my mom used to make her potatoes even more so than the chicken. And it was very reminiscent. Like I understand this now that it was very reminiscent of how that part of Italy that she's from. Well, she's Canadian Italian, but she's a Bruzzese. And so that part of Italy, while not restricted to this part, very much about oven roast. So roasted chicken, potatoes and all uh, other kinds of food. Mm-hmm. And this is something she did super, super well. And I loved it. And it didn't require any, you know, that I remember. It didn't require anything other than chopping up a chicken, sprinkling it with salt and pepper. Um, I don't even remember her using herbs. I think paprika was her uh, other specialty herb of choice, or spice of choice, sorry. And um, yeah, after that, it was just simple vegetables. And she actually, now that we're talking about it, if I really think about it, she is more of an Italian cook than my father is. Because she had the simplicity. If you go to Italy and you sit at the table, and I haven't been to everyone's table, so I can only <laughs> speak generalizations, of course. But if you sit at the table, they're not they're not hitting that table up with so much food you can barely move. Mm-hmm. And they're not transforming food like into these amazing delicacies. In a lot of cases, it's just simply transformed food. You know, a simple pan-fried vegetable. Um, a little tossed salad in a bowl of pasta. And it's still just wonderful because the kinds of ingredients they have are fantastic. Really letting the ingredients shine. Yeah, I think so. And in a lot of ways, I don't even think that that's what they're intending to do. This is just how they cook. And it just speaks to us. Mm-hmm. My father, on the other hand, is uh, more of a creative cook. And he's got, uh, you know, he's not a cooker or he's not a chef by trade, but he, you know, he took cooking classes and stuff and he's, he enjoys the sort of French approach uh, refined techniques, you know, building on layers and uh, attention to the process and all this kind of stuff. And that's a lot, I, you know, hopefully when my mom hears this, she doesn't feel insulted, but most of my <laughs> style and enjoyment when it comes to the kitchen is more my dad than it is my mom. Mm-hmm. So he taught me a lot, but not directly. I just watched everything he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything he made, wow. And he's really great at roasts too. So, you know, I was always in the wind. There was always potatoes and and meet around for the most part of my home. Sorry, that's a long answer, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much my first food memories. How much I loved meat and potatoes, and I couldn't wait to see that on the table. That's so fun. Well, and it's something you know you wouldn't really expect um, from a kid craving that, but I mean, good roast chicken and potatoes is the best. Oh, it's it's comfort. Honestly, that's comfort. 
to me, that's comfort food at its best. Absolute best. Yeah, Yeah. it's fantastic. You can't beat it. Is your dad Italian as well? My father is Italian. He's actually uh, born in, was born in Italy. He's uh, Southern Italian. He's Calabrese. Mm -hmm. And he moved to Canada uh, when he was 18. So he's, I believe it was 18. In a lot of ways, he's probably more Canadian than he is Italian. But uh, <laughs> the jury's out on that one. Do you speak Italian? Uh, you know, I don't speak. Um, I've I've tried to learn. I I don't want to say I'm not good at learning uh, languages. I think if I reflect on it, I probably it probably wasn't the right time for me to learn it. I don't think uh, my focus was in on it. But I travel to Italy every year. Oh, nice! And you know, last year being the only year I never traveled, I think most people understand why. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is super unfortunate for a lot of people, but... For sure. And tourism is such a big uh, income generator for Italy as a country. And um, I can't wait to go back personally. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Honestly, you and I could talk about Italy probably then for hours. So um, I'll just move forward. (laughs) Yeah, No, I I don't speak it, but every year I go back, I pick up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I can probably understand far more than I can speak. And sometimes when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know the answer. Then I, I just can't find the words to respond. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Yeah, it's lucky enough. I go with friends every year, so I'm with English speaking people. So there's there's also the the ability to just kind of you know hey, my buddy speaks fluently. You know, so hey, what did, what, did, what did they say? Oh, okay, here's what I say back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, everyone's patient, but also in Italy too. I mean, if we talk about not visiting relatives or friends or whatnot, you go into the country, and most people can speak. English simply because it's high tourism. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so in a way, how does that translate into me speaking it? Sometimes I kind of don't have to speak it because it's so easy mm-hmm. to just keep using my native tongue of English. So, but I'm, I'm actually feeling more determined to learn the language now. Well, especially, I mean, growing up in Canada, we do learn French here and there is some similarities for sure between Italian and French. So I totally resonate with, you know, the, someone will say something to me in Italian and I'll respond in English because I've sort of gotten the gist of the verbs and the nouns. <laughs> yeah. So are you, you speak Italian at all? Uh, like un poco. You, oh, okay. Un poco, right. un poco. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. I mean, I love, I love everything. Italian, Italian culture, Italian food. So the first time I went to Italy, um, I was determined to be able to at least order myself a glass of wine and a pasta and a plate of pasta and say, hello, how are you? Um, so I, this was uh, maybe about 15 years ago and I dove into Italian podcasts and <laughs> tried to learn as much as I could. And every time I go, you know, a couple of weeks before I go, I try and do some Italian lessons just to kind of get my head around it so that I can at least say, you know, hi, how are you? Walk into a shop, you know, order some pasta, <laughs> order my espresso in the morning. <laughs> If you ask me, it sounds like My you have spermuta. the basics covered. <laughs> yes, exactly. You have yeah. the basics covered. A bowl of pasta, where's the washroom? Hi, bye. And Left, thank you right. Very much. <laughs> Left, right. <laughs> you can get yeah. by, no problem. Exactly. Well, I think, you know, I think language is so important and... Everywhere that I've visited, I try and learn at least a few words um, because I think it's nice to show that you've at least made a little bit of effort. You know, even mm-hmm. most places that I've traveled are pretty touristy, but I think it's nice to show that, you know, you've taken an interest in the culture, you know, when you're ordering and you're just making niceties with, um, you know, with the locals. Yeah, actually, that's a great point you make. You know, I noticed that I, I unfortunately, I'm not very uh, well-traveled. I do travel to Italy annually, but I, I haven't explored a lot of other countries in different languages with different languages. But speaking of Italy specifically, because uh, I go there, it's really interesting how 
they do take well when you make that effort to say things in their native tongue. In fact, here's a funny thing about, and it may happen in other countries as well, but in Italy, a lot of the times now when you try and speak Italian, they're going to try and force English because they want to learn their English. You're like, no, I'm trying to say some words here. Like, mm-hmm. let, let, let me speak your tongue. Um, but in a, in a, most of the older generation are very happy when you're making that kind of effort and attempt to sure. uh, speak their language. I, I think that's great. Actually, it's really great for a connection and feels super awesome. For sure. Well, I mean, the very first time I sort of traveled, I think without my parents, um, I was going to Montreal for the weekend with some friends and everyone had said, oh, you know, Montrealers can be a little snooty. They can be a little like this, a little like that. So um, my mom said, you know, she gave me like a little crash course in French niceties, again, how to order a glass of wine and a plate of pasta. (laughs) And um, I had such a wonderful time. I was like, Montrealers are so nice. I love it. I want to move there. I love it. It's fantastic. (laughs) And my mom said, well, what did you like? Did you start conversations in French? And I said, yeah, of course. And then I had apologized for how bad my French was. And she goes, yeah, because you're at least making some sort of effort. So if you're showing that you're making an effort and not just an obnoxious English speaking person, everyone should speak English. English is, you know, king, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're immediately kind of extending the olive branch um, and showing that you're excited to visit a different place where they speak a different language. You know, it's just making me think of something actually quite funny. You know, people, it's just a little point about some people like, oh, you know, why Italians do things so great? Um, Which, I mean, the whole world does great things, but singling it, they're like, oh, Italians do all these things amazing. I'm like, well, they pretty much do everything with a little bit of love and a little bit of hate. And it's always about the balance, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to get at in terms of the not necessarily hate, but the sort of other side, the kind of frustration they have is in terms of language. They really get frustrated when the English speakers demand of them to speak English. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the tourist tourist world, and that's where sometimes a lot of people come back and they 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 talk about the unfortunate nature of there's kind of times are grumpy, they're kind of rude and stuff. And I'm like, well, it kind of depends on how you approach them with the language. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't force English upon them. They're 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 Italian speaking people. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm probably not painting the best picture of them, but it's I love it. I think it's part of that culture. I mean, I think it's all cultures, you know. Um, I I think anywhere that you go, if you demand that they speak English or whatever your language is, it's a little bit, I can't really find the word, the the right word that I'm thinking of without offending anyone, but it's to expect people to speak your language without any sort of grace about it is, is ridiculous. You know, I've seen, um, it always makes me so sad when people that speak another language fluently that's very different than English. Like, you know, people that speak German or Japanese or any of these other languages, and then they apologize that their English isn't good. And I mean, their English is better than my Japanese is. <laughs> their right, English right. is better than my German is, right? So right. I don't think that anyone ever needs to apologize for their language, but I do think that, you know, people should check their privilege a little bit, expecting everyone to speak English. Yeah, that's a fair point. I agree with you on that one. Anyways, I think we've sort of talked a lot about language on this food podcast. (laughs) I know, right? Well, it's all part and parcel. Yeah, it's all part of the culture. So growing up, you definitely sort of identified as Italian-Canadian, Canadian-Italian. Yes. As a youngster, it was, well, what are you? Oh, I'm Italian. Now it's for sure Mm Canadian-Italian. I get everything in correct order because it's important to me. Mm -hmm. I don't identify 
just as an Italian, even though a lot of things that I do are very Italian centric. Um, I, uh, I definitely do include the culture, uh, into the description for sure. Did you grow up? Um, where did you grow up? What neighborhood or city? I was born actually in North York and I grew up in part in Woodbridge in the old, old Woodbridge. Mm-hmm. And then, um, most of my life, uh, we, oh, when did we move? So I was, probably around 10 years old. So then we moved to Oakville and uh, pretty much grew up in Oakville. Well, and Woodbridge is very Italian. Yeah, it's super Italian. But, you know, even if you knew it when I was just a kid, even if I asked my parents, it said there was pretty much no one around and it was a mix of people, but it wasn't like super Italian the way one might see it today. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's tons of times there. And growing up, so you visited Italy every year, I'm assuming in the summer. Uh, I would visit, I visit Italy every year, generally speaking around end of August, Mm -hmm. uh, September of every year. The logic behind that is simply that we, we go when the tourism is at its lowest, Mm -hmm. uh, in general, generally speaking. And not only that, sometimes it's, it's not even at its hottest in terms of temperature. Mm -hmm. Of course, that depends on where you go. You can go down South and it feels like it's 40 degrees, (laughs) uh, the whole summer, no matter what and fall. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, usually around August, September, and there's harvest happening around then too. So there's, you know, the the food is um, reflective of harvest. If we usually go two places, we go pretty much every year. One is definitely Rome, mm-hmm. um, and we spend only up to a couple of days there. And for me personally, the the charm and the the beauty of Rome is its food. And uh, it, yes, it has mm-hmm. a lot of history. I'm not I'm not going to say that that's not worth it. Definitely beautiful. Uh, for me, it's an exciting time to go to the restaurants that I love and eat, you know, specific Roman dishes that uh, otherwise you're not going to get in a lot of different parts of Italy. They're not going to duplicate it in a lot of places in Italy. Then Abruzzo is also on that list for sure, because my friend has family there who has become my family uh, for the most part. Love them very much. Very welcoming people. Um, and then from there, it's, um, you know, we pick places to go. Sometimes it's Sicily. It was Sicily once. You know, we'll drive to Sicily, but we'll make plans on the way back. We're like, well, if it's a 13-hour drive from Sicily back to Abruzzo, we're not going to bypass Napoli without going to get a pizza. You know what I mean? So this is kind of how our mm-hmm. adventures work there, which is super fun. I mean, pizza from uh, Napoli is, so good. you know. <laughs> well, that's it's the thing, best. right? It was like... You know, it's obviously that hype of food. Oh, Neapolitan pizza versus Roman pizza. I think they're both fantastic. I love them both. Both fantastic, both, both different. different, and both, I think, have their own Yeah, own I couldn't agree more. Um, at the time, I was, just, I was just obsessed with both. I wanted to see how, okay, well, we're going to go to Naples and see how the native Naples makes it. And the reason why I wanted to do that was not just to say I ate a pizza at Napoli, although that was part of the reason. It was also because it was fun mm-hmm. to just know that like by it's like going through the city of Toronto and saying, well, let me just stop and get some street meat because we're here. <laughs> you know, let's just do yes. that right? because we don't have it in the suburbs. So we'll just do that. But in Italy, it's like, no, let's stop in Naples to get a Neapolitan pizza. So that's what yeah. we did. And I got to tell you, yes, Canada, Toronto specifically, they do a really fantastic job making pizzas. I couldn't bear, I could barely... Obviously, I didn't have a Toronto pizza next to an Italian pizza. But at the same time, I mm-hmm. felt that we do pizza so well here in a, a couple of the, the higher-end, well-known pizza uh, places in downtown Toronto that 
Mm-hmm. I was blown away. I just, I was blown away. I was like, you know, this in, in Naples, I was like, this pizza is fantastic, but I feel so privileged to be in Toronto because I could go to Libretto Pizza, let's say, for example, and you're going to get something really, really delicious that I can guarantee you it's pretty identical to what you're going to get in Naples. And I thought that that was super fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great sure. food adventure. Plus, we also did um, Bologna because I was like, well, like Bolognese sauce is one of my most favorite sauces to make. And especially <laughs> yeah. making that with my handmade tagliatelle. And I was like, well, we're not bypassing Bologna without going to have Bolognese. So we did that as of well. Course. And it was, it was wonderful. So tell me, because my husband and I do not agree on this. Do you make your bolognese with milk? Uh, yes, you do. You do? Okay. You do. Yes. Now, it's here's, here's, okay, let's get into this. Can we get into this? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So now the one thing I don't argue when it comes to teaching cooking, uh, which we can talk about more later if you'd like, um, I don't, you know, I don't really get into authenticity, which might sound weird, you know, like people like, well, what do you mean you don't teach authenticity? Aren't you going to teach authentic sauces and pastas? Well, here's the deal. Authenticity is such a broad word, mm-hmm. especially in a country that pretty much fights over how everything is done within mm-hmm. themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. authenticity is like the Northerners don't do it like the Southerners uh, and vice versa. And so what is authentic doesn't really matter. Now, bolognese sauce, I can't even argue what is the most authentic, but I had met someone at one point who I asked if she would share her mom's bolognese sauce. And she told me how she did it. I wrote down all the directions because it came from her. To me, there's a level of authenticity in mm-hmm. this particular sauce mm-hmm. and her, her ingredients definitely included milk, mm-hmm. but other ragus, other bolognese style sauces from Southern, like mm-hmm. let's say Calabria. I know that they'll do, they'll do a basic uh, beef with uh, tomatoes and maybe some onions and just let that stew, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it gets a little bit, it's a little bit thick. Mm-hmm. And so that's their version of a bolognese sauce without milk, without the whole sofrito, you know, the carrots, mm-hmm. the celery, the onions. And I'm sure house to house does it a little bit differently. Maybe some of them do put the carrots and the onions instead of just onions. But the milk component, I put it in. There's a level of uh, richness that comes from it that um, does change both the texture and the color mm. of the sauce, which you know, to, to be descriptive about it, when you add milk, it turns a red sauce into a rust mm-hmm. color. And to me, that's one of the biggest qualifiers of getting something, what I would say, close to, close to a real Bologna Bolognese, mm-hmm. um, is that, that distinct rust color. And, uh, you know, later on, I can give you a recipe if you'd like. It's probably too, too much to explain on the show, but I can, always, <laughs> I can always tell you how I make it if you guys want to give it a try. I would love you. You'll have to, you'll have to send me the recipe. We can do a guest post. I love it. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Yes. Let me know when. Well, so my, my bolognese is adapted over the years that has sort of adapted with um, me and my husband's taste. But the original recipe is for my dad, who is Canadian, Canadian, Canadian. Um, okay. But he makes his own sort of, you know, meat sauce, as he calls it. Um, and that's how I started cooking when I was young, obviously. But then, you know, I read some Italian cookbooks, watch some cooking shows um, and go to Italy. And, you know, my taste sort of evolved. And then I started making it for my husband and he likes things a little bit spicier. So we started 
started making it a little bit spicier. And mm-hmm. um, the one thing we just don't agree on is is the milk. I don't do it with milk, but I have. And mm-hmm. I, I'm slowly getting coming around to it. <laughs> so so let me ask you then, it, what, what was it about? It sounds more like you have a preference not to put milk is it mm-hmm. a taste thing? Is it a texture thing? Like I'm always worried it's going to split. Ah, uh, well. But I guess you add the milk at the end, well, right? Well, there's... Okay, so milk will split. First and foremost, I use a whole milk, something with a higher fat content. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, uh, I'm just trying to think, has it ever split on me? <sighs> Maybe. So my husband's like, let's add wine. Let's add milk. Let's add this. Let's add that. And I'm like, no, there's too many things. I like so <laughs> meat. Some, you know, the mirepoix or, you know, maybe even not celery. I'm not a huge celery in the meat sauce person, but I do put like some carrots, maybe a red pepper, yeah. onions, garlic, you yeah. know, tomato paste and tomato, uh, crushed tomatoes. And yeah. then I'm like, okay, that's perfect. A little bit of seasoning, right. maybe some chili flakes. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's to me is like the best. That sounds like a nice, delicious, hearty sauce. Yeah. The milk thing yeah. is... It's completely optional. I, I don't think you're gonna get you're gonna get a little bit of a flavor change. And texture. And texture. I good, bad, I remove those two questions. It's more like yeah, try it, taste it's it. Personal preference. But when you're adding the milk, I would never add it straight from the fridge into a hot sauce. That's that mm. to me is a no no. Uh, mm. either keep it at room temperature and then add it or scorch it. Um, mm. so it doesn't have to come to a boil, just scorch it in a high heat. You can tell mm-hmm. when it's about to turn it off and you add it. And so sometimes I think, I mean, my, my cooking skills aren't top, top notch. So if I'm saying this wrong, forgive me all chefs who hear this, but um, if that totally makes sense though, like in baking, you know, usually you would scorch milk or at least temper it before adding yeah. it into eggs or whatever, you know, it, exactly. So you, you, you kind of, you play with the temperatures there. So that's just if they're uh, trying to resolve this, um, the fear of it splitting. And then of course, if you don't like the taste, you don't do it again. But um, mm-hmm. but I love it. I always do it. I mean, I also add like a pile of Parmesan. <laughs> so I feel like I'm still getting that dairy in there. That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> That's funny. I like yeah. It. Um, growing up, what would you say is sort of, was your celebration food? Like it was your birthday and your mom was like, okay, you can have anything you want. What do you want me to make? What was your favorite thing? Ooh. Well, admittedly, that's not how it worked in our house. Um, yeah, I know exactly. Funny enough in our house, we actually adapted to certain Canadian, uh, North American traditions, right? So you're going to have your burgers, your hot dogs, your fries, your chips, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, right now, admittedly, uh, I'm 40 and it's still happening where my mom will not, not let us have some kind of, uh, gathering dinner, which is fantastic because now I totally get to eat whatever I want. I get to choose the menu. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's one. In fact, and sometimes I even cook now because I love to cook and I, I make myself part of the process. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, sadly, yeah, you know, we never had mac- macaroni and cheese, but we had hot dogs and burgers. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the food for me is, the festive food is something like porchetta, mm-hmm. which I actually really love making and I get my hands dirty in that and sometimes I'll just take it over mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and do that. Um, but if... If I want to be completely hands off, my father sometimes will step in and, and make um, filet mignon steak, which he does absolutely incredible. Somehow it just melts when you cut it. Like you don't even have to cut it. You don't need a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's a great cook that way. And if my mom takes control and I still don't want to be 
like I just let her have the reins. Mm-hmm. My mom makes me chicken and potatoes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, which she knows I love. She just does it so well. Like it's without question. She just does it and it I don't know. I can't explain. I'm more methodical with my chicken. Like I know that it takes this much time at this temperature, yada yada yada, this, that, and the other. And everything turns out well, but somehow she literally effortlessly throws it together. And just comes together in such a way that I still can't duplicate. I mean, it's the I love. I just can't duplicate. That's her secret ingredient. That's probably what the it is. The love. That's, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Totally right. Can you share your social media handles for everybody? Because I want everyone to lay eyes on your food photography. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So uh, primarily, I run from the page at Jason J A S O N dot G R E N C I. Um, and there you're going to find, you know, my photography, um, probably not a lot, but now and again, things about my personal life. Uh, but mostly it's about food and the thing that I do with cooking. Um, and then you'll notice I've got a couple of other things. One is uh, a different handle at Jason Cooks. You'll see it from that page. And uh, from there, link out to my website, uh, jasongrenchy.com, which is where you can, if it's of any interest, you can sign up for culinary experiences. I host cooking experiences online. Right now, most of the focus is in Italian food. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, for right now, it's primarily uh, based in handmade pastas and sauces, one of them being bolognese, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, hopefully just looking to expand with that over time. But again, all online, everything is on my website. You can, It's easily easy to navigate and uh, don't be afraid to look at some of those uh, food photos to entice the senses also mm-hmm. well and i'm i'm i already i think i already know the answer but you think fresh pasta 100 percent worth it worth the work i i always <laughs> always think fresh pasta is worth the work okay. now let me demystify something if it's worth it mm-hmm. at times do not make including myself we don't make handmade pasta all the time we actually very satisfied with dried pasta in fact most sauces uh go better with dried pasta um from the store but when you take the time to craft the pasta by hand, okay, the time, attention, energy, and yes, love, that actually goes into this, what I think is a slow process, because you just have very few tasks, mm-hmm. you know, very few mindful tasks. It can be very therapeutic in pro- just to produce it, mm-hmm. and it can be extremely um, joyful to consume it, whether it's for yourself or if you're sharing it with the family. Mm-hmm. Those reasons alone are, for me, what I teach, that's why it's worth uh, getting involved in an activity like this. And then when it comes to the flavor, you'll just know. Yeah. They're just delicious. So always give it a go. Mm-hmm. I've done it a handful of times. And no pun intended, made handmade pasta a handful of times. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely a time-consuming process, but it is delicious. And the te- nothing beats the texture, I don't think. I think just the fresh pasta with some just a mm-hmm. really simple sauce on top is... It's velvet in your mouth. It's so good. Oh, I, I completely agree. I think um, I think there are definitely some pastas that are time intensive. Um, there are a huge host of Southern Italian type pastas that really require nothing more than uh, semolina flour and some water. Mm-hmm. And you can build like four or five shapes off of one style of dough mm-hmm. that require nothing more than your hands. Mm-hmm. Maybe a knife like a little kitchen knife um, that, in my opinion, I, I have to be careful how I say this because I've been doing this for quite some time. So to me, it's a bit faster than other people would experience it. However, 
in comparison to other types of pastas where you need the machines, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, time to let the dough sit, build it in stages. There's plenty of pastas, and I teach them all on my uh, on my online cooking experiences. So if you're ever interested, I'll show you some some different pastas that'll happen quicker, but you'll get some of the same pleasure out of the end result. Amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to wrap up with some rapid fire questions just for a little bit of fun. Okay, sure. Are you ready? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, water or land? Land. Apple or pineapple? Apple. Favorite drink? Can it be a cocktail? Yeah, whatever you like. Uh, probably an old fashioned. Oh, okay, good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want you to imagine you're in a cafe anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You hear the clinking of glasses, people chatting, maybe some music. Mm-hmm. What city are you in? Where am I? I'm in uh, Siena, in Tuscany, Italy. Amazing. Are you inside or outside? I'm on the I'm on the outside towards the uh, piazza. And what are you drinking? Ooh, well, I love cappuccino, so I'll probably have a cappuccio and then some kind of fizzy water, San Pellegrino or whatever else they have. Perfect. And are you eating? Uh, in the morning, no, generally not eating. It's just a cafe and a little bit of water and that's it. And who are you with? Uh, actually I'm by myself. Amazing. I love that. Beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, food. This one usually stumps people. Oh, totally. I've never. <laughs> a food. I have no idea. A food to pick. You know what? Let's go with a burger. I've okay. got some. I've got some meat. Um, <laughs> I've got some uh, spice and tang from the pickled onions because I'm describing how I love my burger. Uh huh. Of course. Uh, I've got some spice and tang from a good pickled onion. I love actual heat from uh, chilies or a chili sauce. Mm. And I've got luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I've got luxury for some good melted cheese. I have yes. honestly, I kind of have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But it's, it's like, not, hey, it's working. It's working for I, me. You're, you're painting a beautiful picture. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I'm a bit, uh, I'm a whole meal in, in a couple of bites, you know, like you can hold me in your hand and just kind of take it all in. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So who, any, anybody, anybody who's listening to, to this is probably going to go, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Truth is, I have no idea. And that's okay. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, Jason, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much for me uh, chatting with me today. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. And for everyone listening, if you haven't laid eyes on Jason's photography yet, please, please do. It's just, it nourishes the soul. It really does. Well, thank you very much for saying that. I appreciate <laughs> that. I continue to do more and I uh, would love to hear from people just to engage with them in general. That'd be fun. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Have a fantastic day. You too. Thank you. Take care. Wasn't that a fun chat? I had asked Jason on to talk food photography, and of course, it ended up being an Italian food love fest. As Jason says in the episode, it's important in this day and age to be clear about our nationalities and where we're from. Despite the handful of Italian words I poorly pronounce, by the way, I am Canadian through and through. I wouldn't want someone to start calling me Wilhelmina and claiming I'm from Italy. I love the country, culture, and food. And yes, I named my son Rome, but I am Canadian and proud of it. I hope you're enjoying my podcast, and if you haven't had a chance to rate and review, please do so. It helps the streaming service know this is listen-worthy content and pushes it to others to listen in. And of course, subscribe. Grazie, ciao. Or, I mean, thank you. Bye.